Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. I'm John Chasteen, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Hey, before we jump into the text today, I want to share a way that you can be praying for me and my family. Here, here's the cool thing. This June, it will have been 10 years since we moved to Medford to help plant and start Redemption Hill Church. Man, and it's been a wicked awesome 10 years, mainly because God is a great God. He's been faithful the entire time, but we've been able to work with a great team as well. I love these guys uh, that I work with. Um, but as a result, Redemption Hill is blessing our family with an 11-week sabbatical this summer, and we're planning on starting that about a month from now on June the 20th. The goal of our time is that, uh, that I would get some vocational rest, some personal rest, um, but also some family renewal. And so I just ask, would you pray as I prepare for that season and as our family gets away, that, that God would use this summer to strengthen and revitalize us to come back stronger than we've ever been so that we can engage in, in the calling that God's given us in the mission here with the Redemption Hill Church and, and striving to see our city transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, hey, as we jump into 1 Peter today, we're going to be talking about how we can cultivate godliness in our lives. And throughout this letter, Peter's already given us a number of main reasons that why cultivating godliness should be important for us. But I want to, I want to take us back briefly to a verse in chapter 1. In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, here's what Peter says. Listen closely as I read it. Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all of your conduct. For as it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Man, in, that, in those couple of verses, Peter unpacks a number of motivations for our pursuit of godliness. First, he says God is holy, so that we should be holy. As image bearers, we should be reflecting our creator. But he goes back and he says, as he who called you. You see, we have a calling on our life. God has called us by his grace to experience this salvation in Christ. He has made us alive in Christ. We've been born again, and we now belong to him. We're, we're now the people of God. And as a result of that, we are to pursue holiness in every area. We're to pursue holiness in all of our conduct. Um, so you see, this pursuit of godliness is not to earn God's favor. It is a response to what God has done for us in Christ. But then you may ask, well, what does godliness look like? Well, Peter's been unpacking hints throughout his letter, but what he gives us today are, spe are some specific virtues and character traits of godliness that he wants us to cultivate. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. The Word of God says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do 
evil. Well, here's the main point that I want to share with you today, and it's this. Cultivate godliness to experience the blessed life. We should cultivate godliness to experience the blessed life. You see in the text here, he starts with, finally, all of you. You see, he's bringing to closure here a section that started in chapter 2, verse 11, where Peter was talking about keeping your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He, he gave us instructions for how we engage with human institutions and authority. He talked about servants and masters. We've looked at husbands and wives. But now he says, all of you. These are traits that all of us as followers of Christ should be striving to cultivate in our lives. But before I move on and unpack those for us, let me give you just a few initial thoughts as we think about godliness. And the first one is this. The source of godliness is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's when God makes us alive in Christ and he puts his spirit in us. This spirit, the goal of this is to produce godliness in our lives. But we're not passive in this. You see, we're to train ourselves for godliness. Jerry Bridges calls this dependent discipline. Our pursuit of godliness is completely dependent upon God's work in us, but we discipline ourselves. We train ourselves for godliness. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. We rely on God and yet we strive. It's like Paul when he says, um, with all of his energy, I toil. So like you've got Paul striving, but he's doing it with the energy from the, from the Spirit of God that he has put within him. Uh, Jerry Bridges, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, he works as we work, and we are able to work because he is at work in us. So we strive for godliness with dependent discipline. But I also want you to think about this. Every day, you are growing in character. The question is, in which direction are you growing? I want to challenge you today to grow and cultivate godliness. And so the first truth I want us to see here is flowing out of verse 8. In verse 8, Peter talks about how we cultivate godliness within the church. You see, a number of these descriptors here are talking about how the relationships, these five adjectives, um, they come across as, as commands for every area um, of, for believers within the church. We see here, he says, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I want to just slowly walk through these today and help us reflect and think a little deeper about each of those. So let's start with the first one here. He says, unity of mind, or we may hear this command to, to be harmonious. What is this about? You see, when you think on Jesus, when he prayed for his disciples, one of his main prayers was this. He said, I pray that they may be one. He desires that the church would live in unity. And as we think about the church, let me think about it. It's one body, but there's many members, and we're all diverse. But one of the beauties of the church is the power of God and the power of the gospel to bring people that have nothing in common except Jesus to love and serve and care for each other. That is the unity of mind that he is wanting us to cultivate in the church. Let me ask you this. Why do you think there's so many commands in the New Testament 
for pursuing and cultivating unity. Well, here's why. You see, if this was easy and natural, why would we have so many commands? I think it's because our natural sinful inclination is for division and disunity. It is for strife. It is for conflict. And so you know what? Satan would love nothing but to see disunity and division happening at Redemption Hill Church. If he can keep us bickering and fighting with each other, we will be distracted from seeking first the kingdom of God, for living out the glory of God, and being faithful to the Great Commission to see disciples multiplied to the ends of the earth. And so that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want unity. But this is something we've got to strive for. We've got to train ourselves. We've got to cultivate unity in our lives. So what does it mean to live in unity? It doesn't mean that we have the same opinion about everything. But it does mean this. It means that we're united in the pursuit of the same goal. Here's the mission statement that we say at Redemption Hill. We say Redemption Hill Church exists to glorify God by living out his mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something that we can unify around. We want to chase after the glory of God. We want to see the gospel change our lives. We're going to do that together in community, and we're going to live, our, live ourselves, live lives out as, as everyday spirit-fed, spirit-led and spirit-filled missionaries engaging in the mission of God. That's something we can unite around. And these, this statement is just flowing out of what we see, what the church is about in the New Testament. So it's saying, hey, this is what we want to be out about as a church. We're going we're gonna to unify our minds around this. We're going to unify our resources around this. We're going to unify our leadership around this, and we're going to chase after it. You may be asking, hey, if, if there's any hints at disunity, what encouragements would you give? Well, I would say this. One of the best ways to cultivate unity is to go pray. Pray with those that you're tempted for division and disunity. Because there's no way you can come together and pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and go and strive for disunity and conflict with somebody. So go pray with somebody. You may be thinking, what, what hinders unity? Pride. Which is why the last characteristic given here is humility. So I'll hold my thoughts on pride here for a second. So cultivate unity of mind. Second, we should cultivate sympathy. Sympathy means caring deeply about the needs, joys, and sorrows of others. I hear sympathy in some verses like this. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 26, where Paul writes, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, what hinders sympathy is connected to pride, but it's selfishness. You can't be selfish and sympathetic at the same time. Also think about this. If you're going to deeply care about the needs of others, you've got to spend time with others. And so, man, if you're not with others, if you're not intentionally trying to get with other believers, there's no way God is going to cultivate and grow sympathy in your life. If you don't know what others are growing through, how can you care about their needs, their joys, and their sorrows? So let me give you this encouragement on a way to cultivate uh, sympathy in your life. Spend time in community. 
You hear us talk often about, man, how God's using what he's doing through community groups at Redemption Hill. But if you want to grow in sympathy, get in a group. And, and not just selfishly looking for somebody to care for you, but go and just listen and ask what's going on in somebody's life and pray this. Pray, Father, would you help me to care about the needs of others, including those that are difficult for me to relate to and care with? Let me share a personal example. This is an area that the Spirit of God has just convicted me of recently, um, particularly in the past week. Th this past week was a hard week for Lee. Um, we, we had a foster kid that spent some time in our home and who transitioned out, and, and we're grateful for that. But that's not easy. Um, it snowed. Hey, it's May. Snow. You know, Lee wants some warm weather. And man, it's just been hard with the kids and everybody. And, and so I'm just being honest. I have not been very sympathetic with her. And um, the Spirit of God just convicted me the other day of that. And so what did I do? Here's what I did. Um, I leaned over at Lee one night, and I just simply said, I just confessed my sin to her. And I said, will you forgive me? And then I turned to God and said, Father, would you help me to grow in sympathy towards my spouse. This is the one right now that I'm praying that God would cultivate and grow in my life. So unity of mind, sympathy. The next one he highlights is brotherly love. Brotherly love. Think about this. In the New Testament, the image of siblinghood. I don't even know if that's a word, but here we go. Siblinghood. Brothers and sisters in Christ is the primary descriptor for how men and women partner in the church. You see this often, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. We've already seen it in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 22. He says that, uh, man, having your purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. We see it in chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. You see, we ought to have the kind of love for each other that's reserved for brothers and sisters. Now, you guys know I got five kids, and they're all siblings. And right now, when I think about like brothers and sisters, a lot of times I think of um, the fighting that just happens and the nagging. Um, but here's here's what that's not what he's after here. What he's after is I've also got a brother and two sisters that I love deeply. I know right now, if I needed anything, I could call any of them. In fact, my oldest sister was on the phone with my wife today, sharing some ways that, that they could care and provide for our family right now. That is brotherly, sisterly love. It's a love that's willing to sacrifice to meet the needs of someone else. And that's who we are in the church. We're family. I, I know that many of you, you are our family. I, you know, the, my parents and siblings, they live a thousand miles away. And so it's you guys, for the most part, that, are, that we're leaning into. It's, it's the people in my community group. We're to love in a brotherly, sisterly kind of love. And if there's one characteristic that ought to describe who followers of Jesus are, it's love. Uh, I've been memorizing this um, with a couple of our interns, Steve and Kirsten. John 13. 34 and 35, which says this, a, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, 
all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. There, it's a contradiction in terms, one commenter says, for there to be an unloving Christian. That's impossible. What describes us is love because that's who God is. God, we love because God first loved us. And it's the love of God that led him to send Jesus to lay down his life for us. And so our relationships should be characterized by sacrificial love. Love gives whatever the cost. Love sacrifices in order to forgive. Love honors and cares. How do you need to cultivate brotherly, sisterly love in your life? The fourth trait he gives us is a tender heart, or we may say compassion. Compassion is related to sympathy, and it means being moved and stirred deeply on the inside with concern for the suffering of others. I think of this, 1 John 3.17, which says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, in that text, there's not a tender heart. There's a, a closing of the heart. But what Peter's challenging us to do is to grow in a soft, in a tender, in an open heart that is moved to, with compassion for the needs of others. If you want to cultivate compassion, why don't you just start praying this? Father, soften and open my heart to be moved by the cares of those around me. Let's cultivate sympathy. And then finally here, he says, and a humble mind. Let's cultivate humility. Think of all the different areas where you could cultivate humility. Humility before God, humility before his word, humility with our own gifts and abilities, and humility towards others. Probably one verse above all as I think about hum humility, it's Philippians chapter 2. This is what verses 3 and 4 say. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, what's going to hinder humility is yourself. It is the selfish ambition. It is the conceit. Or what 1 Peter later on says is pride. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, this is what Peter writes. He says, um, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we think of these five character traits of godliness, imagine the result and impact of the people of God at Redemption Hill Church are increasingly growing and living these out. I mean, as we dream this year about multiplying 30 leaders, these are the character traits that I want leaders growing in. As we think of groups being multiplied, these are the types of relationships, this brotherly, sisterly love, this humility, this sympathy, this compassion, this unity that I would love to see multiplied in all of our groups. And imagine the church as a window 
that the world's looking into. Like imagine the apologetic that we can be as a church as God is increasingly changing our lives to look more and more like him. We're going to increasingly be a compelling community for people to say, I want that. God, would you do this in our church? So Paul, first of all here, sorry, Peter, he looks at um, our relationships within the church and how we cultivate godliness. Now he turns to how do we cultivate godliness in the world? We see that here in verse 9 where he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Cultivate godliness in the world. Let's be honest. Our natural instinct is to respond to evil with retaliation. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. But when God gets a hold of our lives, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living in a way to show the world how merciful and compassionate and great God is. And so we've already looked at a similar theme here back in chapter 2 where we talked about servants and masters. And we even looked at the, the example of Christ when, he, when people riled against him on the cross. He did not revile in return, but he entrusted himself to God. The reason that Peter's calling us to bless when we are in response to evil is because it's an opportunity to show how great our God is. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 to 45, it gives us a window to think about God. It says this, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We see a picture here of, of God's mercy and compassion and common grace on everyone, good and evil. And he's calling us to image forth that in our responses. So as we cultivate godliness among the world, first of all, we hear a command here is don't retaliate. That's not what we're to do. We're to entrust ourselves to God. God will repay. We are to bless. What does it mean to bless? I believe this. Blessing here means to ask God to show his favor even upon those who've done them evil and to desire good, not evil, for them. I think a great example of this is something that happened this past October. Social media was abuzz with a young man's decision to forgive. You see, here's what happened. Amber Geiger was an off-duty officer in Dallas. She entered the apartment of Botham Jean. He was a 26-year-old accountant. She later said that she thought she was in her own apartment, and so she mistook Botham for a burglar, and she shot and she killed him. A year later... This past October, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And Botham's brother, Brant, directly addressed her. And this is what he said. He said this. He said, if you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, 
But I presently want the best for you. And the best would be for you to give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. That is a gospel response in the midst of evil to bless and not curse. God, would you help us to cultivate blessing in response to evil? But then finally, our third truth is really taking us back to the main point. And it's this, cultivate godliness to experience the blessed life. You see, the reasons Peter gives in verse 9 for cultivating godliness, he says this, for to this you were called, and then he says, that you may obtain a blessing. What's this blessing? Well, this is when he quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. You see, let me give you a little background. I love this psalm. This is one of my favorite psalms. This is a psalm on suffering and how the Lord delivers those who are suffering, who are afflicted. And this is the issue. It's the similar issue that the people that Peter's writing to are facing. And so here's what Peter wants us to see. He wants us to see first that the ungodly will face God's judgment and curse. Look back at 1 Peter here in this quote of Psalm 34. He ends it. And he, the very last phrase here, he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If we were to read the very next line in Psalm 34, it's saying that God is going to completely destroy the wicked. You see, those who practice evil will not obtain an eternal inheritance and the blessing and favor from God. But on the contrary, those who are righteous will. And so, yes, God, Paul, Peter wants us to see that the ungodly are going to face God's judgment and curse. But on the flip side, he wants us to see the godly will receive God's blessing. And, and here's what I want you to get. Godliness is essential to experience God's blessing. Where do we see God's blessing? Uh, in this quote of Psalm 34, we see it at the beginning. He says, um, he who desires to love life and see good days. This is the blessed life, enjoying life now and for eternity. And then we see in verse 12, there it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous to bless, to provide, to care, to protect, and his ears are open to their prayer. You see, the favor of God, we see this in Psalm 34, the favor of God is on the righteous. It's on those who live and cultivate a godly life. And we see, um, we see additional areas. I'm not going to have time to jump into them today, but we see from Psalm 34, let him who keep his, keep his tongue from evil. That's an area to cultivate godliness, how we speak and, and use our words to display the glory of God. Keep our lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. These are additional ways that we can cultivate godliness. And Peter, quoting Psalm 40, 34, is saying, the person who is doing good, who is cultivating godliness, they're the person that the favor of God is going to rest upon. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Peter isn't proposing a works-based salvation. You see, a life of godliness is evidence 
that we are truly alive in Christ. If God has made you alive in Christ and has put his spirit in you, there ought to be fruit. But additionally, Peter's also not suggesting that we will live perfectly. You see, there ought to be increasing evidence over time of, of us becoming more and more like Jesus, of us increasingly cultivating godliness in our lives. As you're hearing this sermon today and as you're reflecting on the text, if there's no evidence of increasing godliness or godly virtue or godly character in our lives, the scriptures would say that we should examine ourselves to see if we're actually in the faith. You say, if, if, if you haven't come to know Jesus, if he hasn't put his spirit in you, if you haven't been made alive through confessing your sin, believing in Jesus, and turning to him, if you haven't been born again, there's no way you can live this kind of life. This life is only possible as we are empowered by the spirit of God. But what is this blessing? He says, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. The blessing of, of this blessed life is the eternal life that starts now, but it's also the inheritance that Peter talks about that will be ours when Jesus returns. This is the life that we are guaranteed as we cultivate godliness and grow to become more like him. From Psalm 34, it's not in these verses right here. But if we were to go back to Psalm 34 in verses 8 through 11, this is what the psalmist writes about the blessed life. It says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lying suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you hear that? Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is the promise of blessing. When you cultivate godliness, when you fear him, when you take a refuge in him, when you, when you seek after him with all of your life, it's the promise that you will lack no good thing. This is a life of blessing. And he continues, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Cultivate godliness to experience the blessed life. When we run and chase after God, we truly experience the life that we were meant to live. No, God doesn't promise that he is going to protect us from all persecution. In fact, we're all going to face physical death unless Jesus returns. But he does promise his sovereign providential care over us, the joy of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the church and the community that we walk alongside of. Hey, as we wrap up, I want to give you two encouragements. The first one is this. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you one or two of these traits that he's convicting you of right now that, that you can take a step in and cultivate this week. So as you pray, as we wrap up the sermon, I want you to pray, Spirit, would you show me that where, where do I need to cultivate godliness 
And wherever the Spirit convicts, I want you to just run after this week. The second thing, I want you to commit to memorize one verse in the Bible that corresponds with that trait. If it's love, go find a verse on love that's going to stir up and help you love. If it's sympathy, if it's compassion, find a verse. It may be one that I quoted here in the sermon. Memorize it as a way to meditate and renew your mind to cultivate this godliness in your life. Hey, if you've been listening today, and this is the type of life that you desire, but you're realizing, you know what? I'm not sure I'm alive in Christ. I don't see much evidence of godliness in my life. I want to call you today to respond and come to Jesus. Jesus will give you a new life. He will give you a new heart. And all you've got to do is confess your sin. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And you commit to following him with your life. He, what he does is he comes and he pours his spirit in us to empower us to live the life of, of godliness that we've heard about today. And if this is a step you want to take, if you want to commit to Jesus for the first time, text the word Jesus to the number on the screen right now. Hey, if you're in our church online platform, you can just click the button that says, I want to raise my hand to commit to follow Jesus and then request life prayer because we'd love to celebrate with you and help you on your journey as you follow Jesus. Maybe right now you just need somebody to pray with. On our church online platform, there are people ready right now to pray with you. I'm going to pray for us as we wrap up today. Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we want you to do a work in us and in our church so that that godliness would be increasingly evident for you are holy, so we should be holy. God's Spirit, would you convict us of where we need to grow in godliness? And God, would you give us grace and faith to, to walk in that as you convict us? God, empower us. Do your work in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.